Welcome to the Ether Podcast, where we create content for the curious and the believer alike to help you grow in your walk with God. Uh, before we begin today, I would like to uh, thank our Patreons, Jesse, Irma, and John, and also the 100 plus people who have followed us on all our social media platforms, which isn't bad for the first week. With the thank yous out of the way, let's begin. My name is Rodrigo. And my name is Rachel. And yes, uh, for those of you who heard us last week, Ryan is supposed to be the one saying that he's Ryan. But Ryan is not here because uh, his whole family is sick. He has a wife and two daughters and they have a very bad cold or flu. the flu. And so he's at home being a good dad and husband. And so, but who's here with me, Rachel happens to be my lovely wife. And uh, she and I actually uh, have a lot of these conversations about the Bible. Uh, we are both Bible enthusiasts, so this is going to be awesome. And I'm very privileged to have her here with me. We did a video that we posted on Tuesday about the first 13 verses of Mark 1, in which we touched about a lot of things. The main thing is Jesus' arrival and how he came and how he was affirmed and how John the Baptist prepared the way for him and how he was tested in the desert, and then he begins his ministry. Watch the video. In the video, one of the things that we talked about very briefly was John the Baptist. But in this podcast, as we do with all our podcasts, we want to delve more into a part of the video that we weren't able to really touch on because we try to keep our videos short. So today on our podcast, we're going to talk about John the Baptist. I personally feel like John the Baptist does not get the rep that he deserves, which is why I want to talk to, talk about him. And I wanted to begin by reading a short passage, not written in the Bible, but written from Josephus, who was a Jewish historian. And this is what he says about John the Baptist. Now, when many others came in crowds about him, talking about John the Baptist, for they were very greatly moved by hearing his words, Herod, who feared lest the great influence John had over people, might put into his power an inclination to raise a rebellion, for they seemed ready to do anything he should advise. Thought it best by putting him to death to prevent any mischief he might cause and not bring himself into difficulties. What's amazing about this passage is basically Josephus is saying that Herod put him to death because he, he was afraid of John the Baptist. John the Baptist during his time has such reach that he made the ruler of Israel at the time afraid. And that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think um, when we think about a passage like that, we tend to attribute a passage like that to Jesus. Um, because, you know, we can read in Acts about all the different things that the disciples of Jesus did and the way that they were perceived by the ruling authority, whether it be you know, the synagogue rulers or the rulers of um, the country at the time or whatever. Um, but to think that John the Baptist, because John came before Jesus, that the followers of John the Baptist were just as zealous or seen as just, or were seen as that zealous, where Herod, who is ruling a country, well, no, he's not ruling a country. What is he ruling? He's ruling a city-state. He's ruling a region of the Roman Empire. Okay, so Herod is ruling a region of the Roman Empire. And people who are going out and who are being baptized in water by a guy, 
you know, that I know we'll get into what he's wearing and what he's eating. He's so afraid of them because he thinks that they're going to overthrow his government, basically. Um, it is pretty amazing because I think, again, I think we attribute those things to Jesus and to his followers, forgetting that John and his followers were there before. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that segues uh, very well into what I want to talk about next, which is the significance of John the Baptist, both from an Old Testament perspective and a New Testament perspective, because basically John the Baptist is sort of the bridge between the two. From an Old Testament perspective, his significance is that he is uh, Elijah. The book of Malachi basically says that before the Messiah comes, one like Elijah would come and basically announce his coming. And John the Baptist sits between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you see that in different ways, in that he represents things of the Old Testament. So in some ways, he's like Elijah. We are told that John the Baptist ate honey and locusts, which is the same thing that Elijah ate, both of them when they were in the desert. Uh, another thing that I read, which I thought was really cool, was the fact that uh, while Elijah's in the desert, a crow brings him food, and the fact that uh, John the Baptist sees honey and locusts and he's dressed with a camel skin basically is indicating that just like nature provided for Elijah, nature also provides for John the Baptist. And I thought that was a really cool detail. Uh, and he's also coming before the Lord. He's coming announcing the coming of the Lord. And one of the interesting things is his baptism, and I know that you have some thoughts about that, so I don't know if you want to talk about that now. Uh, well, you know, I was just, I was reading, I have um, several different translations. I highly recommend for anybody to read many translations of the Bible while reading Scripture. Um, I think it's helpful. Um, you know, every translator sort of has their different take on how they view Scripture, so I have several different translations that I read from, and um, I like to read them side by side. Um, so as I'm reading, I can get different perspectives. Um, and so that whole idea of John's baptism, I remember, I know um, you, in a conversation we were having, we were referencing in Ephesus when Paul comes across um, people who were baptized with John's baptism, but had not been baptized um, while receiving the Holy Spirit because John's baptism does not give the Holy Spirit. And I remember when I was much younger and reading that scripture for the first time, my mind was blown. I was like, how, how can someone be baptized and not have the Holy Spirit? Like, and to think that there was like these, this pocket of um, undiscovered people you know, almost in a sense, like indigenous people. I don't know. Maybe I should cut that out. <laughs> no. But that's the that that was my idea when I was I was a, I was a teenager when I was reading that, um, and so it blew my mind that there was first of all this distinction between baptisms that John's baptism was different than Jesus's, um, but also the whole concept of the reason why John had a different baptism was because of his role, because he was there to prepare the, 
the way, you know, in the same way that, um, you know, I can't go in to our backyard and just plant seeds. I mean, I guess I could, but that is not the recommended um, way if we want to start our garden like we've talked about. Um, I would have to go out there and prepare the soil first, pull up all the weeds, you know, fertilize, um, till the ground, water, prepare the soil so that it's ready to receive the seeds to then be able to produce. And to think that that was the role John was playing, you know, because we know from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it's hundreds of years of, um, you know, of silence, basically, from God. And so all of a sudden, this guy in the wilderness dressed in camel's hair where the earth is, like, um, supporting him. It's almost like he just pops out of nowhere and he's walking around. Um, this reading, for whatever reason, what what's one, one small detail that stuck out to me was the whole, that it says that his belt of leather... Which reading? Which reading? Um, I was reading it. Like I was reading oh. through, I was reading through Mark one, and it says his belt of leather. And I found it interesting at this point. I was like, why did they say leather? You know. But I guess you know belts can be made from different materials, but leather would be a organic material. You know, it's a skin that has been leathered. Um, so that whole concept of just everything he's wearing, it's like he's just come from the ground and he's tilling the ground. He's tilling people's hearts. He's preparing the way. Um, and even for that concept of its immersion, um, it's turning to God from sin in order to be forgiven. Um, so it's not just getting wet, you know, but there is a purpose, there's a reason um, behind it. Um, and it's, you know, that is the first step when we, when we think about conversion, when we think about um, being able to be submissive to the Holy Spirit, that first kind of step is willingly turning to God away from sin because you know that that is the place of forgiveness. Right. Uh, you know, I think uh, the, the John's baptism is a little difficult to understand because we know there's baptism later on in the New Testament, Mm-hmm. And John the Baptist was also baptizing, and it's not the same baptism, and he also baptizes Jesus, and it's so all this baptism confusion. Right. Uh, but probably the best interpretation that I've heard about the whole baptism of, of John the Baptist comes from the IVP background, Bible background commentary, which I highly recommend. It's yes. a great tool to study the Bible. Awesome. One of the things that they say there is that um, the Jews knew ceremonial washing, but that's not what John the Baptist was calling them to. Mm-hmm. What they understood baptism for, who was baptized in Jewish culture slash religion, were non-Jews who wanted to convert into Judaism. Mm. So if a, not, if a foreigner wanted to practice the law what they had to do was be baptized. Hmm. And it's almost like John the Baptist is saying like, hey, you think that being Jewish is just enough, but it's not true. Right. 
like you need to be baptized in order to receive the Messiah. And basically what he's doing is like putting everybody on level ground. Right. Well, that's what it says in, um, in Isaiah. If you read, because um, in verse 3 of Mark 1, it is quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3. And that is literally what Isaiah 40 says. It says, verse 3, it says, a voice, a voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Yeah. So that's, no, that's, that's literally what's happening, is that he is leveling the playing field, fulfilling this scripture in Isaiah 40, where he, the, the, the fields are being leveled. Especially since at this time in, in Israel, there is such a segmentation between the upper class and the lower class, and it's interesting because who really followed John the John the Baptist was a man of the people. Camel skin was the attire of the very, very poor. Mm. Like people who couldn't afford clothes wore camel skin. So John the Baptist dresses as a poor man and yet enjoys this following and has all this influence. And sort of like a Robin Hood uses that influence to really go after the very influential. Like he calls the Pharisees like brood of vipers. And, and they were very corrupt. And so John the Baptist was sort of seen as like this bringer of justice. And even in calling people to be baptized, and, and even if you take it as a significance that he came to make sort of the, the playing field even... Is basically what he's saying is like, hey, it doesn't matter if you're poor or rich, if you're a religious official or not, we all need to get ready for the coming of the Messiah. And actually, this is a perfect segue into the next thing that I want to talk about, which is his ministry. One of the things that I find very amazing about John the Baptist is that he was a Christian before Christianity was a thing. Mm-hmm. And he was proto-Christian. That's right. And <laughs> the amazing thing is like, even though, I mean, he dies soon after Jesus shows up, but I feel for as, very, as little as we know of him, he both gives us a great example of what a Christian should be, and he gives us a great example as to what Christian ministry should be. Go ahead. Use your word. He was the perfect Christian. Mm-hmm. So before Rachel and I started recording, we were having a conversation about what we were going to talk about. And I called John the Baptist a perfect Christian. I mean, Jesus calls him the greatest man to be born of a woman. The guy was awesome. Okay. I am not disputing said awesomeness. Just all I'm saying is that I think we need to just be careful with the word perfect, particularly when we're talking about scripture and the Bible and Jesus and, you know. Sure, sure. All that stuff. I, I understand. But, I mean, the man, 
the man was awesome. And so let me begin with this. Mm -hmm. You know, John the Baptist was a really popular figure of his time. I mean, Josephus talks about him, mm -hmm. like a historian talks about him. He seems to have had a pretty popular and solid following. John the Baptist had every reason to think of himself as important. And yet what he says in talking about who he's preparing the way for is that he says that he's not even worthy to mm. take the sandals of that of who he's coming. Taking the sandals off of a person was the job of a slave. He's basically saying, I'm not even worthy to be the, the slave of this man who's coming. That is a lot of humility. And it's not like he was just saying it ceremonially. The man meant it. Right. Right, it's just um, the, um, have you seen the bumper stickers? No. It's the bumper sticker that people have on their, on their cars. We have a friend that has this bumper sticker on their car. It says, he greater than sign I. I've not ever seen that, no. I think you actually have, but I can't tell you how long it took me to realize that's what that bumper sticker was saying. Okay. <laughs> But it's a bumper sticker, and it says, he greater than sign I. Sure. And it's this scripture. It's the scripture that says, I mean, in my Bible, I have underlined, I am not worthy. Right. That whole idea of John the Baptist himself, your perfect proto-Christian type person, saying, I am not worthy. And, um, you know, that he is less than a slave, basically. Right. And so, you know, even the way that he thought of his ministry is pretty incredible. You know, John the Baptist was considered a rabbi mm -hmm. because he had his disciples. <laughs> rabbis weren't uncommon during John the Baptist and Jesus' time. There were lots of rabbis. And a rabbi's would worth... Would that be... How would you say plural rabbi? Rabbis? <laughs> rabbi, that's the first word that came to my mind was rabbi. So there were lots of rabbis during the time, and a rabbi's worth was measured by the amount of followers they had. Mm -hmm. But John the Baptist is very unique in that he was gathering disciples for another. Right. Meaning that his ministry wasn't for himself, it was for somebody else. Right. Well, also we see that he's willing to turn people away because it's not like he's out there trying to gain as many people as possible, but he challenges people when they go out there um, because it's not just, again, talking about baptism, it's not just about getting wet and immersion, but it's really about um, turning to God from sin for forgiveness and and there's um you know in um in another account of John the Baptist we see <laughs> in one of the other gospels in one yes. of other gospels yes we see that there's a group that comes out to um John the Baptist and he calls them brood of vipers it's the pharisees that yes. go out to John the Baptist, and he calls him a brood of vipers. And if he was someone that was just out to get followers, I mean, that would be a perfect time to, like, 
you know, get the crown jewels, so to speak, right. of like the best followers there could be, quote unquote. Um, you know, I think, I know for me, this is always a really challenging passage, thinking about John the Baptist and seeing the bumper sticker, he greater than sign I, look out for it. Um, that <laughs> <laughs> The bumper sticker, look out for the bumper right, sticker. Right, 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 look out for the bumper sticker. But um, I think it's really challenging because, you know, first of all, I think, well, how often do I think of that? You know, how often do I think that he must become greater, I must become less? Because we could all say that, we could take that passage and say that for ourselves. Um, and that's really um, ultimately what being a Christian is about, if you want to boil right. it down yeah, into absolutely. one thought, is that we in our lives allow Jesus to become greater and ourselves to become less. But that is the struggle, you know, the, the Romans 12 about um, a living sacrifice, you know, the, the preacher joke of that scripture is that the problem with living sacrifices is they like to crawl off the altar. Right. Um, so we have that, you know, that struggle in our lives where we want to become more. Yeah. And I think, you know, even the whole idea of we've done ministry, we know other people that have done ministry. And I think if, if we're really honest, it's very easy to make ministry about oneself. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's very easy to say, like, hey, I lead this ministry, and this ministry, we're going to do what I say, and I teach in this ministry, and, you know, we're going in this direction. But I think John the Baptist had the right idea about ministry mm. and about his life as a proto-Christian, if you will, and that he understood that his life was about not him and his ministry was not about him, but it was about who was coming to the degree that he was willing to lessen himself mm-hmm. lower than the lowest person in society. Mm-hmm. There was nothing lower than a slave. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe a widow, but basically he's saying like, Hey, like think of the lowest. I, like I will go lower. And it's interesting because in in Matthew, when Jesus calls John the Baptist the greatest man who's ever been born of a woman, what he says afterwards is whoever becomes less than him Mm -hmm. will be just as great. Mm -hmm. And so how this self-effacing attitude that John the Baptist has, even Jesus makes it the motto for what a great human being is. Right. Right. Now, can we take a step further back from that scripture that you just referenced about when Jesus says that about John? The reason why Jesus has that conversation is because John sends one of his disciples to Jesus. a few. A few of disciples to Jesus asking, are you the Christ? Are you the one that we're waiting for? Right. And Jesus says yes. And then he goes on and has this conversation where he talks about John being the the greatest born of a woman. So even John, who is amazing and awesome, he still has to ask that question. Right. Are you the one? And he witnesses, I mean, he witnesses Jesus' baptism himself. And 
the spirit coming down like a dove and the, the voice from heaven saying, you know, you are my son. And even him has to wrestle, wrestle with that. And so that, that's something I really love about the Bible is I think the Bible really gives us humans um, and real people, real people that we can relate to because I think if the Bible just portrayed, actually did portray John as perfect, right. um, he would be just unrelatable. He'd be some crazy person living in the wilderness eating food I would never want to eat and wearing clothes I would never want to wear, doing some crazy things, and, and that's it. But the Bible really does give us such a broad picture of him that even when he says, he who comes after me comes he who is mightier than I, when he's saying this, he doesn't even know who he's talking about. Right. He doesn't know like the particular person. He doesn't have a picture in his head of who he's talking about. And yet he's so um, he has so much faith in God that he knows these words are true, you know? And I don't know, I, I think it's humbling for me to see him be so humble. It's encouraging to see that even he who says these words also doubts later on that right. faith and doubt don't have to be mutually, mutually exclusive. exclusive. Hey, yeah. Hey, that's marriage 101 for you right that's there. That's right. Um, yeah, that, that it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive, that we, that we can live in a place in our lives where we can have a lot of faith. And we can have some doubt, but he he goes to Jesus. He he goes straight to the source when he's asking his question. He doesn't send his disciples to go investigate all the stuff that he's doing, but don't go talk to him. Right. Like he's like, just go talk to him, just ask him. Um, and so, you know, I think even learning how to deal with doubt. You know, how do you deal with your own doubt? You go to Jesus right. and you ask him the questions. Um, you know, I think, like you said, we we don't um, think about John the Baptist a lot, you know, because he, he is kind of that bridge between, but he's someone that we can learn a lot from. No, he was awesome. Uh, and hopefully this podcast is the start of uh, putting John the Baptist up there. Let me read two scriptures that I think are the perfect example of what we're talking about. This one is in uh, John 1, in verse 35. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him, that day, for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. 
And I love, love, love this scripture because it is the perfect example of the type of ministry that John the Baptist had that he only needs to point to the Lamb of God. Mm. And he had this prepared his disciples so, so well to follow him that just at pointing, they go and follow him. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that that's the, the I was going to say the perfect picture, but that's a great picture of what Christian ministry is supposed to be, that we're pointing people towards Jesus and preparing them for the moment in which they're going to follow him. And that is the hardest thing. Yes. That is the hardest thing to do because, of course, we want to take the credit. Of course... I mean, we can't sit here and say John didn't have some twinge of something, you know. Uh, he was human, you know, but, um, you know, we all want some kind of credit, you know. And, um, you know, I think it is amazing that, he, like you said, he he prepared his disciples in a way where once he just pointed out the guy who is the Messiah at least according to scripture, there's no questions asked. Right, they follow. Right, they yeah. just go. Uh, the other scripture I wanted to read is in Acts 19, and this is the one you were referencing before uh, about the indigenous people, which they're not. <laughs> I wasn't saying they were indigenous people. I was saying that it was like finding indigenous people. Yes, which is <laughs> weirder. <laughs> so in Acts 19, in verse 1... This is much later, like it's much proto Christians. They found proto Christians. This is much later, m- much after John the Baptist, and much after Jesus. This is as Paul is going around in one of his missionary journeys. Acts nineteen verse one. It says, "And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland, the inland country, and came to Ephesus." There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and then they speak in tongues and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. But I find, there's again, there's two things here that I find amazing. Ephesus is in Turkey, mm-hmm. which is a long way from Israel. How long? Do you know? I don't. Okay. But it's a long way. I mean, Turkey is on like on the northern part of the Mediterranean, and Israel is like on the middle part. Okay, so, so for those exactly podcast miles. people who are American, who are terrible at geography, like myself, just take it's it, many hundreds take it of for miles. His word that it's a long way away. It's a, it's many, especially <laughs> if you consider that at the time they walked and they did all that stuff, there were no cars, planes, or whatever. It's a long way off. Right. All right, and so you have to wonder how. Either they ended up there or how they were converted there into John's baptism. But either way, John the Baptist's ministry were so far reaching that he reached Turkey, mm-hmm. Ephesus. Right. And the other thing is that what you see here with these disciples was sort of what you saw in the scripture that we read in John, 
that as soon as they hear about this person that was supposed to come after John, at least the way it's told us here, they go and they get baptized in the name of Jesus, basically. Hmm. And so they also had been waiting for this Messiah, and now they know that he's there, and they go like, yeah, like, baptize us. Mm -hmm. And I find that amazing. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but I I love these little details. Like in in verse 1, it says uh, that Paul came by the country, and he found some disciples. Like, how did he know? Like, maybe, like the way that I picture it, they were probably preaching, like here... Basically, they're, it seems like they're close to the synagogue because right after this happens, they sort of walk into the synagogue. But like these people that John, that, that sorry, that Paul finds, mm-hmm. they were doing something that told Paul, right. these people seem like disciples of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so whether they were preaching, whether they were having a conversation, I mean, these were, were active let's call them proto-Christians or John the Baptist disciples, like they, w- they were active ones. They weren't right, right. just wandering around not talking about what they believed. They were talking about what they believed. Mm-hmm. This is the ministry of John the Baptist. Like, it's amazing. Right. You know, I, I remember reading this passage and um, again, I don't know if it was for the absolute first time, but um, as I was reading it, particularly in college, um, and thinking about baptism and what baptism was, and I was going through sort of a re-evaluation of baptism. Um, Because in college, you know, you're around lots of different people, lots of different ideas, and you're at an age where you have a, a significant amount of confidence and also not a lot of inhibition. <laughs> and so... I remember having conversations with people on campus, and so I started thinking, huh, what do I think about baptism? Um, And why do I believe what I believe about baptism? Of course, this is a scripture that came up, and I remember always thinking that Paul made the assumption that they were already baptized into something because they were so different, because he could see that their life was different. Um, and it wasn't, he went from belief to baptism in that, in that one conversation. It wasn't, uh, what did you believe? That's not the next question he asks. He asks, what is your baptism? Just as an example of, so recently, um, I have been reading out of the complete Jewish Bible. It's a English version by David H. Stern. Um, I heard about him on another podcast, and so I bought this and have been reading from it. And it's David H. Stern's own translation of the Bible. And um, I I just love... I, I was an English major, an undergraduate, for those of you who don't know me. She loves words. So I like words... Words mean stuff to me. And so I'm going to read a part of this, Acts 19, and I apologize in advance because I have not taken Hebrew, so I do not know always how to properly pronounce Hebrew. So 
I apologize in advance for that. But Acts 19, verse 2, it says, He asked them, talking about Paul, Did you receive the Ruach HaKadosh when you, when you came to trust? No, they said to him, we have never heard that there is such a thing as the Ruach HaKadosh, which is the Holy Spirit. In that case, Paul said, into what were you immersed? The immersion of Yochanan, they answered. And then Paul says, Yochanan practiced the, an immersion in connection with turning from sin to God. But he told the people to put their trust in the one who would come after him, that is, in Yeshua. On hearing this, they were immersed into the name of the Lord, Yeshua. And it's, you know, it is the same passage that right. you just read. But even just the fact that in verse 2, he asked him, um, did you receive the Ruach HaKadosh when you came to trust? Whereas in our version, we have belief. And I like that he uses the word immersion when he's referencing also the word baptism. Um, And I just, I feel like it helps me sometimes, especially if this is a scripture that I have read a lot um, or that I feel familiar with to hear someone else's words, to hear someone else's version of that scripture because it helps me see it with new eyes. Let me close with this, because we've talked about how awesome John the Baptist is. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Yes. Words. In yes. the video, we basically talked about Jesus' arrival and how it's this monumental, epic thing. Mm-hmm. And what begs the question is, with Jesus arriving in the way in which he arrived which again, there's prophecies being fulfilled and that there's a messenger that comes before him. There's prophecies being fulfilled and then there's the spirit that falls on him visibly. Like people can see that something went into him that looked like a dove. Mm -hmm. That was part of a prophecy. The voice of God is heard from heaven saying something that was associated with a scripture that prophesied about the Messiah. Mm Mm-hmm. John the Baptist is a great man who has a great ministry. Jesus then goes on to have this awesome ministry where he's performing miracles and doing all this stuff. You take all of this in, and the big question that you have to ask yourself is how did people miss it? Mm-hmm. Right. Because John the Baptist was a great preparer of the ground for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lot of what we've talked about here. Jesus had... A ministry that amazed people. Right. Like people were in awe and they couldn't believe it. And they were asking all these things out loud. And he challenged the establishment mm-hmm. and all this stuff. There's literally a scripture that said, and the people were amazed. That's right. Mm-hmm. And so, again, the question is very fair to ask. How did people miss it then? How do people miss it now? And I think one of the things... One of the reasons is expectation. Hmm. Because, and again, this is one of the things that we talked about in the video. They have been waiting for a long time for a king. Mm-hmm. 
And so this king was supposed to come, and before him was supposed to be a king's messenger. But see, here's the problem. A man out in the desert, dressed like a poor man, eating locusts and honey, doesn't look like the messenger of a king. Mm -hmm. Like the messenger of a king came dressed nicely and with an entourage and on a horse and all the this other stuff. latest fashion. Yes. But who the messenger is, is no one that meets expectation. You didn't look for as, as much as you might have been amazed at John the Baptist preaching mm -hmm. and his call to repentance. Mm -hmm. He didn't look the part of a king's messenger. Right. Once Jesus shows up, for as much as all these ama amazing things that revolve around him, he is a carpenter from a little town in the middle of nowhere, mm -hmm. which again, no one is expecting him and Mark to come from a kingly, a kingly fashion, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so, again, we've been talking about how great John the Baptist is. In the video, we talked about how awesome the coming of Jesus is. And yet people missed it. Could it be for expectation? And because of their expectation. And what does that say about our expectation? When we expect things from God, do we force our expectations on God? And he could very, be very well delivering whatever it is that we ask of him, whatever it is that we plead for him. And we don't see it mm -hmm. because it doesn't come in the way that we expect it. Right. Well, you know, I think, um, you know, that saying, you get what you're looking for, um, or you'll find what you're looking for. Um, you know, the opposite would be true. You miss what you're not looking for. You know, I think it is amazing. You know, we read here, Christians today, we read passages, um, you know, like um, Isaiah 53, you know, and we read that about Jesus being on the cross. And for us, it screams Jesus on the cross, you know, and right. that he was crushed for our iniquities. And, um, you know, even even in this passage, Isaiah 40, you know, it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. I mean, where is John? Right, in the desert. He's in the desert, in the wilderness. And, it, you know, I think even more to your point, particularly, you know, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, they were people who knew the Old Testament. They knew their Bible, but they knew their Old Testament really, really, really well. I mean, the Pharisees, you know, Paul in later on in... in um, the New Testament, he uses the fact that he was a Pharisee as a as a thing that he could have boasted about to right. people because of how they were known. Well, of, the Pharisees would have memorized the law. Like, right. Word for word, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I can't imagine memorizing right. that much stuff. I mean, even stuff. Exodus or Genesis, you go like, yeah, that's a lot of words. So I think it makes it even more amazing that they had the scriptures you know, that's what, in some ways, you know, the prophets were all, it says the, all the law and the prophets were pointing to this time when Jesus comes 
So everything they should have, everything they were studying should have pointed them to um, Jesus. And then, you know, if you read in just the Gospel of John, Gospel of John is basically Jesus says something and the people misinterpret. Yeah. (laughs) Is basically just chapter after chapter is that kind of interaction. Um, but then, like you said, I think it's, it goes for us today too, you know, um, what, when we come to the Bible, when we come to Jesus, what are we looking for? Because it does affect, um, what we see, you know, um, if you're looking for someone to vanquish all evil in the world, you know, Jesus does overcome the world, but he did not depose Herod in the process, right. you know, or he did not heal every sick person he came across. He did not do a lot of things that I think people would say, you know, if Jesus was on this earth for three years, he could have, you know, totally undone certain things if he wanted to. Um, so I, I think even for us, and I think even for me being a Christian for 20 years now, as my life changes and as things go on and situations change and I find myself in new circumstances, I can start to hone in only on certain things and not really accept other things about Jesus. And I think that's what makes Jesus so amazing and dynamic, um, but challenging, as well, because, you know, Jesus or John, like we've been talking about, says things that you're like, ooh. Yeah, do I, that do, are hard. Right, that's challenging. Just even the whole, I am not worthy, he must become greater and I must become less, you know, that's challenging to our being, to who we are. It goes against our nature, nature yeah. it goes against my nature, my grain. Truth doesn't often, often come packaged the way that we want it to. And I think a lot of times that turns us away from it. I think what this misunderstanding sets up is a tension Mm -hmm. that is present for the rest of the gospel in which there are these facts and these things that are happening in front of people Mm-hmm. And yet they look at Jesus and they look at where he came from. And instead of taking it as truth that he's the Messiah, they try to find every single possible reason to go like, no, he's not. Mm-hmm. And yes, we see him heal people. And yes, we see him walk on water. And we see him speak the truth and challenge these authorities and perform all these miracles, and we miss it. We want truth to be to look like what we're ready to receive, mm-hmm. what we expected it to be. And again, it's interesting because there's all these conflicts in the rest of the book between even John the Baptist and you know Herod as an authority mm-hmm. and Jesus as an authority. And, and here you have two figures... That people were not ready for. And I think ultimately it's a great lesson for us to sort of bring things full circle to adopt 
the attitude of John the Baptist that when it comes to truth, it can't be about us. Mm-hmm. It has to be about it. And when it comes to God and when it comes to Jesus and when it comes, when it comes to us finding the truth, we must become less. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think, again, going back to some of the stuff that we talked about and to sort of close this off, I think ultimately John the Baptist is both an ideal and a challenge in that he was an exceptional messenger, uh, an exceptional Christian before Christianity was a thing, and to this day an example for us, not only as to how do ministry, but also as to how receive Christ. Mm -hmm. And strangely enough, as... Jesus continues his ministry and begins to teach these followers of his now. One of the things that he teaches them is that they have to deny themselves. And who the perfect example of that is, is John the Baptist. Mm. And I think that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So just brought things around full circle. And on that thought. Um, that's marriage 102. That's right. And on that thought, we're going to close this podcast. Uh, we hope that you've enjoyed it. Hopefully, you were as riveted by this conversation as we were. And uh, again, we love to do this. We want to do this to help people grow in their walk with God. And uh, we're able to produce this podcast and produce the videos that we do thanks to your support. So we ask that you please support our endeavor. Uh, you can go to uh, patreon.com forward slash ethermmc to become our Patreon. And also, if you like our content, we ask that you please share it on social media. You can find us on pretty much all social media platforms at ethermmc. And follow us and share our content. And thank you so much for listening. Also, if you've already subscribed to Facebook, you can also rate us. Yes. Ratings are very much... Appreciated. Appreciated, as well as on any platform you listen to your podcast. Yes, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher and everywhere else that you listen to podcasts. And thank you so much for listening. And I guess we'll hear you on the next one. Bye.